The Christian life is really about recognizing that God rescued us from sin, death, the devil, and really God's wrath. And because God rescued us from that, we respond to him in gratitude by living lives that honor him. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining me in The Fox Den. As I record this, 2020 is quickly coming to an end, and 2021 is right around the corner. I'm sure many of you are looking forward to the end of 2020, since it's been such a crazy year. And many of you may be looking forward to making New Year's resolutions to start off 2021. I've never been a big resolution guy. Personally, I've found them to be somewhat useless. I find it interesting that people make these resolutions, and then oftentimes they break the very resolutions that they've made. So New Year's resolutions often seem to be a waste of time to me. But for this episode, I'm going to give us all a New Year's resolution that is worthy of pursuing. And that is making the resolution to thank God with your life. Now, you might think that's a pretty weighty resolution, nearly impossible to achieve. Well, let me say this. Perfection is not achievable. But to be thankful with your life is actually quite achievable. That doesn't mean that you're not going to fail along the way, but for the most part, it's achievable. Now, let me start off with an illustration to kind of make my point. When I was younger, I wasn't much of a student. After school, I would take my books home, probably drop them on the floor, turn the TV on, and watch Gilligan's Island, The Flintstones, and a bunch of other shows, such as The Brady Bunch. Now, I remember one episode of The Brady Bunch that kind of illustrates the point that I'm getting at. I tried to find it on YouTube to rewatch it, and I couldn't find it. So I don't remember all the details, but I get the gist of it. And in the episode, Bobby saves Peter's life. And Peter is so grateful that he devotes his life to Bobby in servitude. Well, you can only imagine that that's not going to last long. And sure enough, in the episode, Bobby begins to abuse Peter's servitude. And then the two get in a fight, and then there's conflict. But it's really the beginning of the story that I want us to focus on. You see, when we look back and we recognize what God has rescued us from, and we see the grace that he has bestowed to us and he has blessed us, we offer our lives to him in thanks. You see, the Christian life isn't really about you can do this, but you can't do that. The Christian life is really about recognizing that God rescued us from sin, death, the devil, and really God's wrath. And because God rescued us from that, we respond to him in gratitude by living lives that honor him. The Heidelberg Catechism recognizes this. And I don't know who first originated this, but we can break the Heidelberg Catechism into three sections. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. So the first part of the Heidelberg Catechism talks about the guilt of mankind. The middle part talks about the grace that God bestowed to us. And the last part talks about our response to God in gratitude. So the third part is in response to the second part, which is in response to the first part. Now at this point, I want to give you a quick introduction of the Heidelberg Catechism. The first thing I want to mention is that a catechism is merely a question-answer tool. It's an education tool. And the Heidelberg Catechism includes 129 questions, and it was published back in 1563. So it was written as an educational tool for the church. And question 86 is really the beginning of the third section, which covers gratitude. 
And in the answer, it says that we are to show our thankfulness to God because of the benefits that we enjoy in Christ. Now, in this section on gratitude, it spends a good bit of time unpacking the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. Now, at this point, I want to make a point about the Ten Commandments. You see, a lot of people have this idea that Christianity is really about obeying God to make him happy, and if you don't obey him, he's going to get mad at you and kick you out of the kingdom. But that's not true. You see, the purpose of the Ten Commandments was never for us to achieve salvation by obedience to the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments to reveal our sin and to drive us to Christ. And this should make sense to you, because if you honestly look at yourself in light of the Ten Commandments, you will see that you often fail. You'll likely reach a point where you'll say, I can't do this. Right. That's the point of the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 7-7 that he wouldn't have known what sin was had it not been for the commandments. But another point that he makes in Romans 7 is that the law acts something like an activation switch. It's kind of like a child. When you tell a child, don't touch that, what do they want to do? They want to touch it. Why? It's sin. It's sin in us that causes us to violate the law of God. So the purpose of the law is not for you to obtain righteousness and earn your salvation. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin so that you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, then it drives you to Christ. This should make sense. When did the fall occur in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. From Genesis 3 on, mankind is sinful. When did God issue the Ten Commandments? In the next book, Exodus chapter 20, several hundred years after Adam. So how is God going to demand that sinful man achieve their own salvation by obedience to the law when he knows they're going to sin? You see, what Paul would say in Romans 8, 7 is that he can't obey God's law. So the Ten Commandments are not there for you to achieve salvation. They are God's holy standard. And yes, we should strive to be obedient to the Ten Commandments, but we have to understand we're going to fail. In fact, question 114 of the Heidelberg Catechism even addresses this. It asks if we can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and it answers no. All we have on this side of the grave is small beginnings of obedience. In essence, we have moments of obedience along the way, and sin mixed in with it. So we can't obey the law of God perfectly. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to do so. You see, certainly we're to do our best to keep the Ten Commandments. But don't think your salvation is kept or lost based on your keeping the Ten Commandments. God saved you by His grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Or in other words, you are saved by your union with Christ alone, and that is a work of God. So now let's look at how we are to thank God with our lives. And we'll take a look at questions 88 to 91. And it recognizes two parts. One is dying to the old self and one is rising to life of the new self. And question 89 addresses specifically dying to the old self. And there's a couple parts to this answer. One is a genuine remorse for your sin, where as you sin, you hate it more and more, and you strive to run away from it. So this dying to the old self is fighting sin. You will be tempted to the day you die. You will sin to the day you die. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. But on this side of the grave, you struggle against it. You do your best not to sin. 
You fight against the temptation. You fight against the sin. You see, God rescued you from this. When we die, we'll no longer be able to sin. And when we rise from the dead, we will be in bodies that cannot sin. But on this side of the grave, the struggle continues. So you fight against the old self. And question 90 talks about rising to life of the new self. And it answers by talking about a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and having a a love and delight to live according to God's will and doing good works. And then question 91 defines what those good works look like. It's not comprehensive. It doesn't give a detailed answer. But it defines good works as those that are done in faith, meaning you do this as you trust in Christ, believing that this is what God has called you to do, and it conforms to God's law, and you do it for his glory. So that may not add a whole lot of clarity, because you may wonder, well, what actually is a good work? For example, is going to church a good work? Well, maybe, maybe not. Kind of depends on why you're doing it. Is picking up trash a good work? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know anywhere in the scriptures it talks about picking up trash, but perhaps it's a good work. But let me give you some examples of what are clearly good works. Loving God, which you're going to fail to do, right? On this side of the grave, we don't love God perfectly because we still struggle with sin. But loving God is a good work. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a good work. Now, love is a very general term, very broad, so that's even not very definitive. So let me drill down a little bit deeper. In Romans 12, 6, Paul says that we're to live in harmony with one another. In Philippians 2, Paul says that we are to consider others greater than ourselves. Why are we to do this? Because that was the attitude of Christ. Also there in Philippians 2, we're to look at the interests of others, not just ourselves. And why are we to do this? Because that's what Christ did. That's what Paul's saying there in in Philippians 2. We do this because he did this. He loved us by giving himself for us. And we respond in kind because we love him because of what he has done for us. If you're married and you're a husband, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5. And in Colossians 3, he encourages us to forgive one another. And again, why? Because God forgave us. How can we hold a grudge against somebody else when God hasn't held a grudge against us? Trust me, our sin against God is far greater than anybody's sins against us. I also think Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 help us see what good works might look like. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it describes the work of the flesh or the work of sinful man. Things like idolatry, sorcery, fits of anger, divisions, envy, and other things. But in verses 22 and 23, it describes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now again, these may seem somewhat ambiguous. That doesn't mean you're going to be joyful all the time. But in reflecting on what God has done for us in Christ, that brings joy. Also, we have peace with God. There's no war. There's no war, or at least there shouldn't be, any war or conflict between our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we're united together in Christ. Patience, being patient with one another, being kind to one another, being faithful, being gentle, having self-control. These are ways that we can respond to God in loving gratitude. For example, in self-control, B, 
being tempted to sin and controlling that temptation and choosing not to sin. And again, the motivation isn't, if I sin, God's not going to be happy with me and maybe he's going to kick me out of the kingdom. No, it really boils down to, if I sin, I offend the God who rescued me. And I don't want to displease him because I love him, because he's been so kind to me. I hope you see the difference between the two. So these are just a couple things that we can do to respond to God in love. But notice, all of them are based on the gospel. And at this point, let me encourage you to go back to episodes 2, 3, 4, and 5 to refresh your mind on the gospel and the blessings that God has bestowed to us. But we do these things because God has done them to us. We forgive one another because God forgave us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Live in harmony with one another. Why? Because we're in harmony with God. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are in harmony with God. So again, the gospel informs how we are to live. We don't respond to God out of mere obedience. We respond to him in gratitude. We obey him because we love him because of what he has done for us. He rescued us from sin, death, the devil, and from his wrath. Let's look at a couple more verses. In Romans 6.13, Paul encourages us not to give ourselves over to unrighteousness, but to give ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. But in there, he tells us why. God brought us from death to life. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. We were dead, but God made us alive with Christ, raised us with Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. I talk about Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 in more detail in episode 5. And then in Ephesians 5 verses 8 through 10, Paul reminds us that at one time we were darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. And so he encourages us to walk in that manner. But notice what he says in verse 10, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, on this side of the grave, we still see things dimly, but we strive to please him, not because we fear condemnation, but because we love him. Or as Paul says in Colossians 1, 13, that he rescued us from Satan's domain and transferred us to Christ's domain. And also looking at Ephesians 2, verse 6, God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. You see, that's our citizenship. Heaven is our home. So on this side of the grave, though we're not home yet, we're to walk as kingdom citizens. And again, we struggle with sin on this side of the grave. So we're not talking about doing this in perfection. We're talking about struggling with sin and living in a manner to the best of our abilities to please God because we love him, because he's brought us into the kingdom, because we're now kingdom citizens. And look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. We're a people for God's possession. Now, I know this may sound really strange, and some of you may even think, I don't want to be God's possession. He's not talking about slavery here. He's not talking about that we are God's property. We're his children. Again, Colossians 1.13, Ephesians 2.6. And then in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, At one time we weren't a people but now we are. At one time we hadn't received mercy, but now we have. And then let's finish here with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And there in verse 1, Paul encourages us to present ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices to God. And he calls this our spiritual worship. You see, worship doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. Worship includes life devotion to God, but it's devotion out of gratitude, not out of fear. 
You don't devote yourself to him because you're afraid he's going to cast you in hell. It's like a marriage. You devote yourself to him because you love him, but not because you loved him first. He loved you first. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And in Romans 12, 2, Paul encourages us not to be conformed to the world. That means don't take the shape of the world. Now, notice what that has to mean. It has to mean that you don't belong to the world anymore, right? Conforming means taking the shape of, but not the same substance. So in this verse, really what Paul is saying is don't look like the world. Don't do what the world does. Why? You don't belong to the world. You're a kingdom citizen. But instead, be transformed by renewing your mind. And then he gives a reason for it. So you can determine what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So though I'm not a resolution guy, I'm going to encourage you to come up with one New Year's resolution, and that is to thank God with your life. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to God. You're one of his people. He has bestowed great blessing on you. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means there's not a blessing that we don't enjoy right now. Does this sound like a slave master? You see, God's not a slave master. He's a loving father. And because of that, you respond to him in loving gratitude. So I encourage you to make that your New Year's resolution. I'm going to give you a couple verses to memorize. And perhaps we can call this a secondary resolution to memorize these verses. So take time to memorize 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. And I'm going to encourage you to memorize this because it tells you who you are in Christ. Peter calls you a chosen race. He calls you a royal priesthood. He calls you a, a holy nation. He reminds you that at one time you weren't a people, but now you are. At one time you hadn't received mercy, but now you have. You see, this softens the heart. And it's this that encourages us to respond in obedience to God because we love him. Then I'm going to encourage you to memorize Romans 6.13. And there Paul encourages us not to give ourselves as instruments for unrighteousness, but to give ourselves as instruments for righteousness. It's more because of what he says in the middle that I encourage you to memorize this verse. The reason for it is to conduct ourselves as ones who have been brought from death to life. Because that's exactly what God has done. He took the spiritually dead and made us alive. Again, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. And then I'm going to encourage you to memorize Ephesians 5, 8. Paul reminds us that we were darkness and now we're light. So walk as children of light. So I think these verses are going to help you as you strive to live your life in loving gratitude to God because of what he has done for you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can find this podcast on several different apps. If you like what I do, please leave a positive review. And please share or tell others about The Fox Den. Also, check out thefoxdenjournal.com for articles and other resources. And thanks for listening. 